Hey, tonight as we wrap up this semester, um, I just want to share a couple of verses with you. But before we dive into that, um, I'll start by saying this. I don't know, as you've come in tonight, where you are as far as your spiritual gas tank. Whether you look at your spiritual gas tank and go, I'm, I'm pretty full, I'm three quarters, I'm half, I'm a quarter of a tank, or I'm empty. But here's what I can tell us all tonight, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. As you've come into this auditorium tonight, wherever you are with your spiritual gas tank, the God of the universe wants to fill that up tonight. In fact, the entire Trinity, as we're going to see tonight, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit wants to come in and absolutely allow all of us to, to be filled up and experience God at His fullness and be able to leave here and then walk through the rest of the week, month, year, just being filled up with all the fullness of God. As I share with folks many times, and I have to remind myself of this as well, when we became a Christian and committed our life to Jesus Christ, I believe that I got all of God, but God didn't get all of me. And that part of my spiritual growth and maturity the rest of my life is surrendering parts and rooms and spaces in my life over to God so that God can completely fill me up. And that's what God wants to do tonight. He wants to fill us up with His fullness so that all of us can leave here tonight saying, oh, my spiritual gas tank is full. With that, go with me for just a few moments to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the last three verses that Paul pens in this great book about second wind about getting that renewed energy to continue the effort that God has called us to. And if I could just share this too, sometimes the coolest parts of a book are those last verses. So I would just encourage you as you read through the Bible, maybe as you read a book or whatever, don't stop until the end. Sometimes the best stuff is at the very end of the book. And I sort of feel that way with 2 Corinthians. I love the way Paul ends this book. He's had a lot of hard things to say to the Corinthians. But he's had a lot of encouraging things to say as well. Remember, this is the whole situation where Paul started and founded this church and yet false teachers have now crept in and turned the church sort of against Paul. And... Uh, Paul's reaching out to them. He's still saying, look, my heart is open to you regardless of whether your affections are constricted in any way towards me, but I want this to be right. And so Paul dealing with this in 2 Corinthians, but all the while that he's trying to iron out those personal things with the Corinthians, he's also trying to encourage them as well. And it's no different at the very end. You know, they say that last words are lasting words. And these are the last words that Paul's going to pen to the Corinthians before he visits them. 
So please look with me in your Bibles as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, 12, and 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Set things right. Be encouraged. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The first thing Paul says in verse 11 is to rejoice. He says, guys, start rejoicing and continue to rejoice. Wake up as believers in Jesus Christ filled with the joy of God and rejoicing. Rejoice all day. Just let your joy overflow in praise and worship and your life lived out for God. Remember too that the root of the word rejoice is the word for grace in the Greek language. And so anytime you and I see the word joy or rejoice in the New Testament, we also have to understand where that comes from. And that comes from God's grace operating in our lives. When we let God's grace overflow in our lives, and I believe God wants to pour out His grace and does pour out His grace in our lives every day, that as we receive His grace, we will become people of joy and people who rejoice. Not people who are bound by our circumstances and what we're going through, but that we can always have joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because again, remember, our joy is based and our rejoicing is based on things that cannot be taken away from us. Things that cannot change. Whether they be our relationship with God or the Word of God or the promises of God or whatever God has done, there are things that you and I always have that are stable in our lives. Obviously, we know life is very unstable in many respects. But there are certain things that God has given us that are absolutely secure and stable. And those are the things that we can count on every day. And because we can count on those things and God's grace is operating in our life, we can live a life of rejoicing. And when you and I live a life where we are rejoicing, we will be building into our lives a second wind. And our spiritual gas tank, if it is a little empty will start to fill back up. Because one of the things that the Bible teaches is that God inhabits the praise of His people. And there's something about when we rejoice in God and when we acknowledge who God is and what God has done and how good and great God is, there is a sense that even though God is always with us, there is a sense that we sense that to a higher degree. That's why even here in these couple of verses, you notice that Paul says, God be with you. Well, I thought God is with me. Yes, but as a Christian, I can put myself in a place where I sense the presence of God at a higher level. Where I just know that whatever I'm going through, me and God are going through it together and I can sense God's presence and I can sense God's power. I just know He's with me. That's why Paul is encouraging them to rejoice. Because it is through rejoicing that we truly sense God's power and presence and we can regain that second wind and begin to see our spiritual gas tank lifted. 
I would encourage you to just start thinking of, of what you can rejoice in in your life. What can, what can bring joy to your life? What, what can you praise the Lord for? There was an old hymn I, we used to sing growing up in church. It was, count your blessings, name them one by one. And, and too often I know I forget to just take the time to stop and count the blessings of God. Rejoice. Second, set things right. It's an interesting Greek word. It literally is a fisherman's term. It was used by fishermen in Paul's day to signify the repairing of their nets. Remember, in in those days, the way they fished, they would take boats out, they would throw their nets overboard and then gather the nets up and hopefully the nets would, you know, obviously have this nice catch of fish. And obviously a net wasn't going to be much good if it had a bunch of holes in it. So the fishermen had to periodically take time to mend their nets to make sure that the holes were repaired so that as they went out to fish, they could gather all of the catch in that they possibly could get. In our lives, when when Paul says to the Corinthians and to us to set things right, he's also reminding us, make sure there's not too many holes in your spiritual net. Are you allowing too much, in a sense, spiritual energy to go through the net rather than gathering it up? And all of us need to take time, just like a fisherman in Paul's day needed to take time to make sure that there were times where they periodically looked, what holes am I seeing? What areas of my life are deficient right now? What areas of my life need attention? Do I need to do some mending of my spiritual net? Because when I get my net repaired, part of the byproduct of that then is I'm going to have a strong net. And that's what Paul meant to the Corinthians when he talked about setting things right. The Corinthian church had a lot of holes in it, if you will. And Paul's saying you need to take time as a church and as individual believers in Jesus Christ to make sure that you are repairing those holes in your net. Obviously, I'm not God. I'm not even going to attempt to try to apply that to your life. But I would like you to consider tonight what are some holes that may need repaired in your life that need that attention when Paul says to us repair those nets there's a balance and balance is one of those key words in life and in the Christian life where we can get too far one way or too far the other and and, and certainly we can get out of balance by becoming too introspective by by spending too much time sort of looking inward and examining in ourselves and over instead of moving forward. But there does come those times where we need to examine ourselves. In fact, Jesus even said that every time you and I partake of the Lord's table, communion should be a time where every Christian stops and examines themselves. Paul even said in 2 Corinthians 13:5 to the Corinthians, examine yourselves. Test yourselves. See whether you are in the faith. Because one of the weird ironies here is, remember, through the influence of the false teachers, they were questioning the legitimacy of Paul's ministry. (laughs) And so Paul comes back and says, well, if you're questioning the legitimacy of my ministry, then you probably ought to question the legitimacy of your own spiritual foundation and walk with God. Because I'm your spiritual father. 
And I'm the one that planted the church. And I'm the one that introduced you to Christ. So if I'm not legitimate, then maybe you're not legitimate either. Maybe you need to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Again, we've got to be careful. But I think Paul is right. There are times where we need to set things right. We need to repair our nets and mend our nets to keep our net strong so that we're not allowing, in a sense, uh, the energy of God and the breath of God and the filling of the Spirit of God, in a sense, to flow out of us, but to be captured by having a strong net that doesn't have too many holes in it. Third, be encouraged. Allow God to encourage you. See, God is saying here through Paul that we can't drum up that encouragement somehow from inside ourselves. He's saying you and I have to learn to allow encouragement to come from outside ourselves. And sometimes God uses people to come alongside and to encourage us. Other times he uses his word. He may use the spirit. He may use a song. He, he can use many different things. But he's simply saying, allow yourself to be encouraged. There are human beings that even though they don't like where they are, it's almost like they don't want to move from where they are. They like being in a place where they can complain all the time. They like being in a place where they can sort of wallow in self-pity. And Paul is saying to all of us, no, no matter what we're dealing with, let God encourage you. Be encouraged. The Greek word is the word paraklesis, where we get our idea of the Holy Spirit, the parakaleo, the one who comes alongside to help, the comforter. That's what the word means. The one who gives us strength. The one who, what's the word in the middle of encourage? Courage. The one who even gives us courage to keep on keeping on. Paul says that's what we need to do. Allow God to encourage you. You know, it, it's interesting. I've pretty much been in church all my life. From the time I was a baby, my parents brought me to church. So I've been in church all my life. And, and, and I've seen in every church situation where there are people who even make the effort to come to church even, which is a huge deal, and yet they'll come to a church and they're still not allowing themselves to be encouraged. It's like I, I allow myself to go to church, I allow myself to be there in that space, but I'm putting a wall up. I'm not going to let the Holy Spirit truly encourage me. And I think we all need to just remind ourselves that we need to be open to God's encouragement. God's encouragement may not come the way we're, we're looking for it to come, how we're thinking it's going to come or whatever, but the Bible clearly teaches God is the God of encouragement. And as I said at the very beginning, God wants to encourage every one of us here tonight. And no matter where we are in our spiritual tank, God wants to fill us up with Him. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the God of this universe, wants to fill every person up in this auditorium with the fullness of God and encourage us. So if you and I are not allowing God to encourage us, it's not because God doesn't want to encourage us or that He's not an encouraging God. It's there's something that's blocking His encouragement from our lives. 
I know in my life sometimes, part of the problem is I'm looking for God to encourage me over here in this way, and God's already encouraging me over here. And, and I'm, I'm just looking for God to work in this way, and God has to continually remind me, Jeff, I work in ways that, you know, you might not realize and figure out. Let me be God. You know, let me be God. Let me encourage you in the way I want to encourage you. And maybe the way I want to encourage you is exactly the way you need encouraged. Even though you thought you needed this, maybe you need this. For instance, sometimes in our lives when we are discouraged, we may conclude or reason in our human reasoning and wisdom that the reason we are discouraged is because we don't have this or we need this. And God, because he's God and he's all wise and he knows all things, may say, no, Jeff, what you really need is this. Because if I gave you this, you'd still be discouraged because that's not really what you need. You need this. So when we talk about encouragement, when we talk about God encouraging us, let's let God encourage us in the way God wants to encourage us. But know this, God always wants to encourage He is the God of all comfort and encouragement. Next, agree with one another. Simply means be like-minded. See, part of the problem in Corinth was division, strife. And yet, as the Bible teaches, as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians, the body of, you know, the church is the body of Christ. And literally, Paul was saying that that the body was dislocated and needed to be put back into place because there was so much division in the body. The question comes just even logically, how can all these people in a church or in a body who are so diverse, who come from so many different backgrounds and ways, how how can a church, how can a group of Christians, how can a community of believers anywhere, how can they be like minded? We're not going to take time to turn there and study, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul gives us the way we can be like-minded. He reminds us, first of all, who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. And he simply says that everyone in the church, if, if we are, if we're following our leader, Jesus Christ, then he's going to lead us all the same way. He's not going to lead one group this way and another group this way. God doesn't contradict himself. God is a God who wants to see unity, not uniformity, because God created diversity within the body of Christ and he celebrates diversity. He created every one of us to be unique. So we don't lose our individuality when we become part of the body of Christ, but he wants to see the body of Christ agree together, to be like-minded, to have a unity. And part of what was sapping the strength out of the church at Corinth and what was sapping their second wind from them was that they were always struggling with each other. They were always fighting with each other. They they were always in divisions and schisms and everything with each other. And Paul says, enough. Be like-minded. He reminds them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you have the mind of Christ. So follow Christ's mind as the body and let Christ allow you to be unified in purpose. Next, along with this, live in peace. Cultivate and keep the peace 
that God has bestowed upon his people. Both individually, that state of tranquility of knowing that everything is right between me and God and that, but also corporately. Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. James says that righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, there's a certain kind of environment that the Spirit of God works in, and it's an environment of peace. So that's why Paul is calling upon the Corinthian church and calls upon us to live in peace with each other. Again, there's something that that God inhabits and is pleased with. It's, It's when he sees his children living in peace. And I also want to mention this. You and I can't create the peace. The peace is a gift from Almighty God. But what we are charged to do, what we are entrusted by God to do, is to maintain the peace that He gives us as a gift. To not do anything that we can do to disturb the peace, either within the body, the church, even in our own lives. To live in a state of tranquility, you guys are going through right now here at Cornerstone this series on stress, anxiety, all of that. I know from personal experience what can sap my life and, and, and reduce my wind to almost nothing in my life. It's when my life is filled with anxiety and fear and stress and worry and all of those things. When I live in peace and when I truly trust God with my future and my life and I turn my life over to God and I can wake up every day in that state of tranquility, I can keep my spiritual gas tank full instead of allowing my gas tank to get full and then over the week just allow it to deplete because I I start getting all worked up about these things. That Jesus even says, don't worry about those things. Trust me. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church and to us. And then notice what he says. And when we do these things, when we rejoice, when we set things right, when we are allowing God to encourage us, when we agree together and when we live in peace, the God of love and peace will be with you. Now again, yes, as a Christian, God is with us. In fact, as a Christian, God lives within us. But what Paul is saying is there's a, there's a certain dynamic in living for Christ and walking with Christ where we, we just know He's with us in a way that sometimes we just don't know that. We just don't have that sense that He's in what we're doing and that we we truly have that confidence that we are absolutely in the very center of God's will. But man, when you meet a Christian, that, that they know that what they are doing, that they are absolutely doing what God wants them to do and that they are smack dab in the middle of God's will and whatever they're dealing with, even if it's a great challenge and all of that, whether like David, they're facing a giant like Goliath, when they know that they're doing what God wants them to do and God is with them in that, it doesn't get any better than that. Because then there's nothing you and I can't face when we know God is with us. 
That's why David could walk out on that battlefield and face Goliath, because he knew God was with him. In Genesis chapter 38, the story of Joseph, after all that Joseph had been through, brothers throw him in the pit, he gets sold into slavery into Egypt. He gets accused of of rape and, and all of that. The Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph. See, God never left Joseph. And so the reason why Joseph could navigate even that difficult time in his life as well as he did, because he knew God was with him. Yeah, God was going to be with him anyway, but he knew God was with him. He had that sense because he was dealing with it the right way. That, That even though life was dealing him some really hard blows and and giving him some extreme challenges, he was going to respond in a Christ-like, God-honoring way. He was going to do it right. He wasn't going to allow his circumstances to cause him to compromise his convictions about his God and about his faith. He was going to continue to trust God even in the midst of those circumstances. And because of that, he just knew God was with him. I'm not saying that there was never a day where Joseph didn't have doubt. I'm not saying that there wasn't a day where when Joseph was in prison, it's like, God, are you sure I'm ever going to get out of here? I'm not saying that. But there was that overriding sense, I believe, in Joseph's life where he knew God was with him. And that's what Paul is saying to us and to the Corinthians. When we do these things and we allow God to encourage us and fill up our gas tank in a sense and renew us every day, as Paul said earlier in 2 Corinthians, then we can be continually refreshed, continually encouraged, and we know God is with us, even if we're going through a very difficult time right now. I hope you know that tonight. I hope you know tonight that not only if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that God is with you over here and and that maybe through the Holy Spirit He's in you here in your being, but that He really is walking with you step by step and you and Him are right there together and you're going to face every challenge this week, this month, this year, and you're going to do it together. He's going to be right with you. I hope you have that confidence tonight because that's the kind of confidence, if you will, that God wants to give his people. Verse, 13, or verse 12. Greet one another. First of all, let's just stop there. The word simply means to be receptive and drawn to one another. God wants his children to receive each other. To accept each other to in a sense open up their arms to one another and to be drawn to each other see god created us as his people to live in community you could just take this this small part of this verse alone and you would have enough evidence to contradict those who believe I can live for Christ on my own in isolation without being part of a church community. Because Paul says, no, 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 no. Paul says, how can you greet one another if you're never around each other? In fact, Paul says, God has given us all that desire to actually be drawn together. To want to spend time together. To want to hang out together. To want to do things together. To come together. I mean, even though we take it technically about the marriage relationship, 
It goes so far beyond that, all the way back in the book of Genesis, when God said, it's not good that man is alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Well, yeah, we talk about, well, no, it goes much. God was saying there, human beings were created by me to live in community. And I believe that when you and I are in tune with God, God creates that sort of thirst even within us to be drawn to each other so that we can mutually encourage each other. Because that's part of how God is going to encourage us through the lives and testimonies and even struggles and whatever of others. That's how God does it. And then he goes on. Some of you are going to like this next one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's talk about that. The word kiss doesn't really mean what we would define it as today. It's not like Paul is saying, now everybody comes into church, smack one on them, you know. Mm, Welcome, you know. Maybe we would get a few more people to come, I don't know, you know. The word is talking about affection. And, And Paul then uses the word holy to say... God wants His people to have a distinctive, God-honoring affection for one another. So again, even within the body of Christ, we do have to be careful with that. Because we can cross the line of displays of affection that are inappropriate in God's eyes. And that's why He put the word holy on there. Even in the church at Corinth, there were... There were inappropriate relationships and immorality that was taking place. So that's why Paul said, a holy kiss. But at the same time, let's not, again, get so far out of balance this way to go, oh, you know, that that we don't show any affection to each other. And I realize different people have different levels of comfort with that. But even if it means not invading somebody's personal space, there are still ways to communicate affection and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. He says, accept each other. Show each other how much you love one another. And then he ends verse 12 by saying, all the saints greet you. And then verse 13. The grace... Of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of this Holy Spirit be with you all. Notice in verse 13 that he ends this great book of 2 Corinthians mentioning every person in the Godhead. He mentions Jesus Christ. He mentions God the Father. He mentions the Holy Spirit. And in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians, there's a trinity right there. And Paul is saying here, the very last verse of this great book, first of all, let the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And we define His grace as His influence and empowerment in our lives. He's saying, let God supernaturally influence you through His grace. And let Him empower you with His grace. 
That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because Paul says it wasn't me. It was God's grace. And again, when you and I are receptive and open to God's grace, and I believe God wants to pour out his grace in our lives, we're going to get filled up. We're going to get refreshed. We're going to get encouraged. We're going to get that second wind that we need to continue to navigate life. Also notice, and let the love of God be with you. Well, again, most Christians would scratch their heads and go, well, I I thought God always did love me. What what do I need to know that the love of God be with me? But again, there, there are times where we don't sense God's love for us, where we may doubt God's love. Remember, there's a whole passage in Romans 8 where Paul reminds the Romans, nothing can ever separate you from God's love. But sometimes when you and I go through life and we get into certain circumstances, we wonder, does God love me? Does he really, really love me? If he loved me, would he he do, you know? So Paul says, let the love of God go with you. Be loved by God. Because the only way we can be loving is when we first know how much God loves us. In fact, keep your finger there. I'll have you turn to one other place tonight. Book of Ephesians, a passage I've had you turn many times before. Ephesians chapter 3, one of Paul's great prayers for the church. Verse 14. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner person that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that because you have been, notice, rooted and grounded in His love. That's where God wants to take all of us. To where we are rooted and grounded in His love for us. Because many Christians can go through their whole life still trying to figure out, does God really love me? Remember, Paul said, I want the love of God to go with you. And then he goes on to say, so that you may be able, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be what? Filled up to all the fullness of God. See, see, when you and I get to a place in our life where we begin to discover just how much God loves us, just how crazy He is about us, just how much He adores us, we begin to get filled up. Because there's nothing more empowering than love. And that there's nothing more encouraging than just knowing how much God loves me. That that even as a human being, if I doubt that there's any other human beings out there that truly love me, I can wake up every day knowing how much God loves me. And that that love was demonstrated for me very clearly some 2,000 years ago when Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, allowed Himself by His own creation to be driven to a cross for us. Let the grace of the Lord Jesus go with you every day. 
His influence, His empowerment, and let the love of God go with you every day. Don't ever forget how much God loves you. Even if you're in a place in life where you begin to doubt, remember, as a Christian, God calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. God tells us to trust in His Word, not to be trying to interpret life by our circumstances. Let the love of God go with you. And then finally, let the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you as well, back in 2 Corinthians 13, 13. The fellowship, the word koinonia, it simply means partnership, community that is created by the Holy Spirit. In other words, first of all, it means that the Holy Spirit wants us to realize every day that He is our partner. That that again, as being in us, as Christians... We don't face anything that the Holy Spirit and us aren't facing together. He's our partner. He's the one that is continually called alongside to help us. He's our paraclesis, our comforter. But He also, the Holy Spirit, calls us into community with other believers as well. So that we can be encouraged. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. We were all baptized by one Spirit into Christ's body. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you and I were immersed, submerged into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit did that. Because He wants us to live in community with other believers, in joint partnership with them. And think about what Paul has just said in just the last verse. If you and I would allow the grace of Jesus to go with us every day, if we would allow the love of God to travel with us, every day and if we would let the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us in a real way every day what could you and i not face in life how could you and i not be encouraged when the god of the universe who exists in three persons god the father god the son and god the holy spirit how could we not get a second wind When we know that the entire Trinity is on our side. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. If God be for us, you you finish it. Who can be against us? Yeah. And that's exactly what Paul's reminding the Corinthians of here. Let the grace go with you. Let the love go with you. Let the fellowship of God go with you. And I couldn't think of a better way to end this semester I couldn't think of a better way to say from my heart what I would say to all of you as I wrap up my time here at Cornerstone and teaching the mind than let God go with you every day folks it has been a joy to be here these last four and a half years and you all have been such an encouragement Just continue to go with God and let God take you wherever God wants. And I know God has a wonderful future and plan for your life. You stay strong. You keep growing. You let God continually every day encourage you. God will do it. Thank you, folks, so much. I love you. Thank you.
So, Jeff, we, we just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for four and a half years of serving God faithfully and teaching us God's word. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything else to say than just say thank you for that. And uh, I think our prayer is, is that uh, as you serve in the church over there at Oasis, that they would receive as much blessing as we've received from you while you've been here. Thank you. But, uh, yeah. Thank we've you. got a gift pack that we've done for you here. It's, wow. It's uh, two nights at the Buttes. Um, I think there's a kind of a massage thing going on in there and a breakfast and uh, all of that. Uh, just Very as arguing, cool. we just want you to have that. And I, I just want to pray for you real quick. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Dearest Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of Jeff to us. And God, we're going to simply ask that you would uh, continue to use his life and continue to use his ministry. And that, God, you would give him just absolute uh, wisdom as he leads the church over there. And, that uh, God, that they would be as blessed as we've been. Thank you again for the privilege of having called him friend. In your precious name, amen. 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 Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, man, very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, what can I say except thank you for that? And um, you all will be in my heart, so you're not going anywhere. You're in here, and I hope I'll be in your heart as well. And just again, just thank you so much for everything. It's been great. And if I can say goodbye to most of you, hang out for a little bit. I'd love to say goodbye. But thank you guys for being here. Have a wonderful summer. We'll see you later.